from the heavily saturated studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another watered-down episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your sopping wet host, Mike McGrath. Have you ever experienced the heartbreak of damping off disease? When your precious little starts wither and die at the soil line? On today's show, we'll reveal the easy way to prevent this problem. Plus, fun with bat guano. And your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and categorically confident computations. So keep your eyes and our ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you have a seed starting room that's not in the flood zone. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling, all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA least for this week. Uh, coming up later, I will help you get your little baby starts up and growing happily by telling you not to water. What is he talking about? I don't know. I do. And I'll tell you after some of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Page. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm just ducky, <laughs> Paige, trying to get uh, trying to get the third booster shot for ducky here. But, you know, it's <laughs> they keep trying to give him the avian flu vaccine. So I'm not sure what's going on. There. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. This is awesome. My husband and I uh, were amateur gardeners, but we love listening to your show together. Oh, so good. fun. I'm also an amateur gardener. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. Yeah. All right. Where are you? I'm in Fate, Texas. We're east of the Dallas Metroplex. Okay. Did you say it was called Faith? Uh, Fate, F-A-T-E. Fate, Texas? Yeah. You live mm-hmm. in a town called Fate? <laughs> yeah, which is half the reason we picked it. <laughs> really? Really? I would have run away screaming. <laughs> All right. (laughs) What can we do you for? Well, actually, you know, we've been in our house for three years now. I've got five rose bushes that I've managed to keep alive and healthy, and I love them. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at moving within the next two years, and I want to be able to take them with me. And, you know, in the meantime, I wanted to enjoy them in the ground. So I was hoping to ask you about propagating or dividing you know we took a rose garden class at our local like nursery two years ago and there was a master rose gardener and she talked about how she divided her roses and that sounded uh doable but maybe that's more of like a master gardener technique and then I've also seen propagating but I want to make sure I get them established in a pot before we move I help people more with plants when I take the kindergarten aspect and not the Ph.D. class. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Now, do you have any idea what time of year you'll be moving? You know, it's not determined yet. We're going to start building at the end of this year, and then it's whenever that's the building is done. And so, where where are kinda, you moving to? Just about 20 minutes north. So not that far. It'll be the same climate zone. But you'll I be, think it's 8A or something. You'll be leaving your fate behind, right? I will. <laughs> yes, that's true. Honey, why are the walls of this house seem to be screaming all the time? You know. All right. <laughs> so roses are so easy. They can be one of the plants that a gardener can utilize to gain confidence and convince themselves that they can actually do this kind of thing. If the situation were different, um, there it is easy to take cuttings from uh, roses. And uh, I've never heard of, quote, dividing roses. That seems extremely treacherous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have yeah. here in Pennsylvania, I've moved roses around with abandon. Uh, they don't mind coming out of the ground and going back in. Now, mm-hmm. when you sell your fateful house, um, you will have to inform the new buyers that you're taking the roses with you. Mm-hmm. And if they don't agree, then you'll take your cuttings. But basically what I'm going to suggest, especially because it's so close, um, the day before you're ready to uh, take over the new house, um, probably in consequences, would that be consequences, Texas? No. Um, (laughs) Right before you're ready to take over uh, the new house, simply dig the roses up out of the ground. Now, to do that correctly... You want to get a couple of people with shovels and you want to dig down around the rows about six inches away from the stem, the trunk, whatever you call it, and go Mm -hmm. deep. Ideally, when you bring the rows out of the ground lifted on like four shovels, you shouldn't see any roots. Okay. So keep it out of the sun after that. Drive to your new place where you will have new holes ready to go. Drop the rose plants in at sunset, not first thing in the morning, and then drench them really well with water. Let water run from a hose for, you know, if you can achieve a drip, drip, drip with your hose, you can run Mm -hmm. it for five, six hours. But the idea is you want to gently water the rose and i i guarantee they'll take does it matter if it's during growing season or if they're dormant you're in texas except for climate change it's always growing season (laughs) well tell that to my roses right now they are definitely brown and dormant (laughs) um and if that's the case dormant is absolutely best um, and okay. early in the spring is second best. But if okay. you if you have to move them midsummer and they're covered with blooms, and this is against some advice I've given in the past about other plants, I would suggest you harvest the flowers, put them in a vase or something like that, and then take them to their new home. But I've done okay. this at every point in the season. 
And if you instead feel, uh, well, if, if the new owners say no, and they have that right because anything planted in the ground belongs to them, um, mm-hmm. then you'll take cuttings. And to do that, um, you would go to our website, youbetyourgarden.org, and you would click mm-hmm. on um, cut roses, turning cut roses into whole plants, whatever. This was a trick I originally developed for after Valentine's Day, where people can actually manipulate cut roses and turn some of them into live plants. So, you know, this mm. roses are like fig trees. They really do want to grow. Ideally, I would like you to move the whole plant. Um, maybe you can offer them to plant something different in its spot. Um, but even rooting the roses, um, rose cuttings from the spring, would be um, very easy. It's harder in the cold weather because that's a whole different mm-hmm. type of propagation. But, um, okay. you know, once you know the date, for instance, and they are not going to let you take the plants, then in the spring, take fresh cuttings, root them, and take the rooted cuttings to your house. It's a can of corn, Paige. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is easy peasy. And stop going to workshops. <laughs> <laughs> Me. Okay. Well, Just too. listen to me. Nobody else knows what they're talking about. <laughs> I'm thankful for you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. Sock a little boat, sell it to me. No, I need me a missus. Eight 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 four nine two ninety four forty four. Denise, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for making that call, Denise. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's freezing, but sunny here in Virginia. Uh, what part of Virginia? This is the eastern coastal area, a little tiny um, town called Kilmarnock. Okay, and it's on the eastern shore? Yes, we uh, were very close to Chesapeake Bay. Oh, okay. Well, that's not hard to do. There's a lot of the Chesapeake Bay. Yes. All right. Well, I know your region extremely well. Uh, Route 13 and I are very well acquainted. And um, so what can we do for you? Well, uh It's about the tomatoes I brought home that were still very hard and uh, called the tomatoes on the vine. So I thought, well, maybe I can ripen them up. And I put them in um, a bag, a Ziploc bag. And maybe five days later, I see that there's these short little um, straight, whatever they are, protruding from the sepals of each tomato. Right. We'll and be, it almost looked like a cactus plant. <laughs> we'll be showing um, these unique images um, as you and I speak here. 
So, because they are beyond description. But uh, so you bought these in a store. Yes. Oh, okay. These are the classic hothouse tomatoes. I think most of them are still grown in Holland. And, um, Mm. you know, no matter where they come from, they have to pick them a little bit unripe. And you must have gotten a nice fresh batch. And then you took them home. You decided they were too hard to eat. But then you made a mistake. You put them into plastic. Plastic does not breathe. So what happens is different types of, I'm hesitant. I mean, as we're looking at the picture, I'm hesitant to call this mold because it it is kind of pretty. It's like a starfish um, Mm -hmm. around those parts of the plants. And it's, it's highly unusual. The smart money would have said your tomatoes would have turned to mush inside a plastic bag. But clearly that has not happened. So no matter whether they're homegrown and picked early, where they come from a store and you think they need more ripening, we're talking paper bags. Paper bags have the ability to breathe. And if you really want to rush the ripening process, you put a single banana or a single apple into the bag with the tomatoes. The, um, the other produce, the, um, the apple and the banana, release ethylene gas. And ethylene gas is obviously a natural component of a plant material, and it hastens ripening. That's why when we okay. tell people to, if they're going to force plants in a refrigerator, make sure there's no fruit in there because the ethylene gas mm-hmm. will change their plants. So also, you can simply leave them out at room temperature. Tomatoes are one of those wonderful crops that once they're fully grown, will continue to ripen without any help from us. So you could have just put them out in a little cardboard box or something like that, and they would Mm -hmm. have uh, done well. Now, uh, we have this image of the starfish-encrusted tomatoes. Uh, How are they feeling now? Uh, Do you think they're ripe? Well, I did take them uh, out of its plastic uh, enclosure, and they're— they have softened some, mm-hmm. and one of them's looking kind of bad where the stem used to be. Mm-hmm. But it was so encrusted with those little white crystals, um, almost right. Things. So uh, they they um, were kind of hard, like you know, it reminded like me of yeah. what you might see on yeah crystals or on a cactus. Okay, well, it's it's not related to cactus, but there are more of these microorganisms, uh, um, molds, things like that, than we can ever imagine. So for Mm. now, I want you to simply pull off all those parts. Um, Don't Mm. don't leave any of these little starfish attached. Uh, Let them sit out in the open in a cardboard box, not in direct light, and not in the refrigerator, ever. 
Oh, oh yes, I got that one. Yeah. Good, good, good. And and they'll ripen up as best they can. But you know, these are winter tomatoes. They're not, you know, they're not going to be right. as succulent as a summertime right. tomato. And in right. the future, when you pick green tomatoes, something like that, um, out in the open in a cardboard box or in a paper bag. No more plastic. Okay. Well, do. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you. You're going to save a lot of tomatoes this summer. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> All right. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind all of you that my first Zoom appearance for the season will be a presentation for the affiliated affiliates of the Chester County something or other about lawn care on February 24th at 7 p.m. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with more tips on successful seed starting and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Public Media Center at PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios, at least this week, of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later, we're going to go into real depth about watering. Um, And if you're growing sprouts, you're growing your own seeds, um, growing your own plants from seed, that makes more sense. Um, Watering is the most treacherous part. So you won't want to miss it, and you won't unless you turn off whatever you're listening to, because it's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. John, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike and Ducky. Hey! All hands up for Ducky, yes. He's getting us through these endless crises. You know, I, I, I have a feeling that Ducky is really the uh, leader of that program. Don't tell people that Ducky is a ventriloquist. And (laughs) he has five Ducky assistants with their hands up my back making me move. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. Where are you, John? Uh, At Wilmington, Delaware. Okay. We all know Wilmington. What can we do you for, sir? 
Um, um, both my, my wife is Chinese, and we both like uh, mung bean sprouts. They put them in fried rice, and I tried to grow them. She doesn't want to buy them because she says they are not organic. I tried to grow them three ways. One, um, uh, I found online, you grow them in a dark place like mushrooms, and they did sprout, but they were they were very thin, maybe two inches, but very thin, not mm-hmm. suitable. I tried them, put them in a bowl, soaked them, gave them light, same thing. So I thought, well, the last thing I can do is I put them in soil, and exactly the same thing. Okay. They just never worked out. So. <clears throat> okay. All right, John, I will tell you right away that especially um, – from the years, say, circa 1970 to uh, the year 2000, I visited Chinatown's supermarkets and little hole-in-the-wall markets constantly looking for the right kind of bean curd, hoisin sauce, and, of course, mung bean sprouts. And as you know, and, and your wife knows, they were typically packaged in plastic already sprouted. Right. But it was a very popular thing at the time to sprout your own. Now, where have you been getting your seeds? Um, from a, a Chinese market. Oh, okay. Uh, well, what makes you think they would be organic? Um. Uh, I don't know. And perhaps they were a little bit old. I think they might have been a year old. Uh, you're easy peasy, man. Um, go online and look for organic mung bean seeds, and you'll probably get tons of hits. I know Johnny's selected seed sells them. Um, but there are also quite a few small seed merchants that specialize in uh, or um, not or Asian varieties, let's put it that way. And what you do is you buy this specialized tube. It's a long plastic tube, um, closed at one end, but vented at the other end. So you put your beans, bean seeds into there, and then you fill it with water, and you rinse it, you pour that water out, and you fill it with more water, and you rinse it, and you pour it out. Then you fill it with a third thing of water, and rinse that mostly out, just leaving a tiny bit of moisture inside, and then lay the thing down on its side in normal indoor light, not in the dark, not in bright, and within five to seven days, they should be sprouting. If things seem to be dry in there, you can repeat this every day. You can, you know, water them, dump it out, water them, dump it out, water them, dump it out. Um, one of the keys to getting really high-quality bean sprouts is the repeated rinsing. And think of the container. I mean, it's maintaining moisture. But it also has this ventilation at the end because, you know, they can get mushy. 
if you don't do the right thing. So it is really easy to do, and you'll, you're going to wind up sprouting all kinds of seeds. You're going to go nuts. Um, it's really easy to do. Um, the organic seeds are out there readily available, and there are other types of sprouters, so to speak, but this is the kind I used all the time, and it, it always worked. Five to seven days, eat them fresh, start another run, maybe get two or three of the sprouting units so you always have fresh ones. You'll never look back. Mm, excellent. All right, Excellent, man. Excellent, Mike. Um, oh, one more thing. You know, when I was in China, um, my wife and I got married there, mm-hmm. which is a whole other story. Right. I thought I was going to prison, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they don't eat fried rice. Oh, God, no. No, and I found one restaurant we were in. And I saw it on the menu. I ordered it, and it was better than when we what we get here because they didn't put a lot of soy sauce or mm-hmm. salt in it. You could taste the rice, not I would, soy sauce. I I would hope that you were never able to see chow mein on a on a menu uh, in in China. So many of these foods have been. Oh, I can't use the word I'm thinking of, but they have been uh, kind of abducted, adopted, made badly. Um, you know, when you're in China, eat what the Chinese eat. Same thing when you're in France, eat what the French eat. Although I will tell you that one of the most popular dishes in France, especially in Paris, is French fries, and they are made perfectly, and every restaurant serves them in a miniature French fry uh, basket. Oh, my goodness, it was so tough to go back. Actually, I never went back. Those were the last French fries I ever ate because I knew I would only be disappointed afterwards. I've been trying to perfect Peking duck with the crispy thin uh, skin. I had it twice, once in Philly and once in China. It is amazing. The yes. skin is so uh, mm-hmm. crispy. There's no fat in it, and I'm not able to do it. Go to and all our Chinese friends laugh at me for trying. Go to the Reading Terminal. You know the Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia? Yes. And there is a stand there. Uh, that does amazing Peking duck. And they'll sell you, at least when I was last there, um, you get a pancake for $2, and it's got the crispy duck, and it's got the scallions, and it's got the hoisin sauce. Ask them to tell you. Ask them to teach you. I learned how to, uh, how to cook Chinese food from a gentleman named Tom Bong, who had a hole-in-the-wall place in Chinatown that we called the China Pepsi because it was the uh, that was the sign hanging outside. But uh, go to any good, real restaurant um, that turns over a lot of Peking duck and ask them to teach you. I have never had anybody say no. Okay, what was the um, shopping center again? 
No, no, the Reading Terminal Market. In oh, Reading Terminal Market. Reading, okay. yeah. The, uh, you know, one of the oldest markets in the country, um, right there at 12th and Race Streets. Um, nothing like it. But also just go into Chinatown and try different Peking ducks until you find the one you want and then ask them to help you perfect yours. You know, um, we used to, in the past years, go to Chinatown in Philly, and we buy it, but it's not the same. The skin is not the same. Now, wait a minute. You're saying you bought it in one of the supermarkets or in a restaurant? Uh, one of the um, shops that sell um, um, ducks and fish. Okay. Go to a restaurant that has the Peking duck hanging in the window, which means they turn over a lot of it, sit down, order it, enjoy it, and then ask questions, okay? Excellent. Again, that's why you have a show and I don't. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Mike. All right. You take care, sir. Okay, bye-bye. No one but Donald Duck. A picture of despair. Despairing duck. But Donald doesn't whimper. Donald doesn't give up. Ladies and gentle ducks. In that corner, Elmer Fudd. duck who needs no introduction, that outstanding exponent of clean sportsmanship, that champion of champions, your friend and mine, our own, our beloved Daffy, good to his mother, Duck. Eight, eight, eight. Four nine two ninety four forty four, Andrea, welcome. It's a pleasure to be a guest. It is a pleasure to guest you, host you. No, I'm the host. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here. Okay, so um, how is Andrea? Doing well. Doing well here. Tennessee is sunny today. Oh, what part? Uh, I am in Middle Tennessee in a town called Columbia. Oh, not really familiar with that, but um, there's another uh, pin in our map, so very good. Now, before you came on, the guys were screaming at me that you love our theme song. Oh, I love the bug song. I'm a huge fan. So didn't we, com Absolutely. Didn't we communicate last week that your friends thought you were crazy? And I sent you uh, a concert version of Kenny singing the whole song. You did. Yes, thank you. And that, my friends have received that video, all, uh, as they all have, and now they know I wasn't making it up. But they, they thought I had made up a song about little bugs. Oh, I well, was con trying to convince them otherwise. Kenny did. I mean, why couldn't you? <laughs> um, and on TV, I think we'll play a little clip. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two 
Oh, those scamps in the control room. Were you able to hear that, Andrea? Oh, absolutely. Big smile on my face. Love yeah. that song. And once again, if you want to hear the whole version, uh, tune into the podcast or the radio show. All right. And um, I'm told you actually have a gardening question. Yes, sir. Yes, I do. I was recently gifted some tulip flowers in a vase, and they are attached to their bulbs. And I would love oh. to keep the bulbs and have tulips of my own. Oh. And I'm not quite sure how to do that. Are they in water? They are currently in soil and water now, yes. Well, wait a minute. It's one or the other, Andrea. Well, I took the bulbs and I put dirt in the vase and then poured water into the vase. Okay, so you got them naked. Yes, yes. Okay. Keep them in um, the coolest spot possible. And gradually lessen the water and add more soil or just take them out and pot them up in a good quality potting soil. And then, like I said, keep them in a, a cool place. Um, you know, it, it pretty soon it, it would be safe to even to put them outside and make people think you're a gardening genius. Uh, but again, keep them cool. Um, the flowers will eventually fade, of course, but then you leave the green foliage alone. And then you definitely take the potted bulbs outside in bright sun and feed them and don't touch the leaves until they wither and die. Um, then collect the bulbs and plant them sometime between Halloween and Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah. Easy peasy. And do they like, do tulips like morning sun or later afternoon sun? Because I have a rock bed that I, you know, kind of play around with it every year with seasonal flowers. It gets morning sunshine though. Okay. So what you're doing this first summer is you just want the leaves to get as much solar energy um, as possible, and some high-quality bulb food. People think you feed the bulbs when you plant them, but that's not true. You feed the bulbs after the flower dies to give the plant the energy to produce more flowers. When you eventually plant them, it's really not going to care. They'll, they'll bloom with any amount of sun. But for now, we're doing an artificial thing. Okay, and then... When they're planted in the fall and they come back up in the spring, do you just forever now leave them in the ground or do you bring them back up out of the spring? Forever. Okay. All right. And never cut the green leaves while they're green. Okay. All right, Andrea. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that the Rutgers Home Gardener's School will be virtual this year, with yours truly delivering the keynote address woo, and hosting a workshop on why bending is for chumps. It's all on Saturday, February 26th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet. 
because we'll be back with more tips on successful seed starting and more of your successful phone calls. I'm successful Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Public Media Center at PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am, I am still your host, Mike McGrath. Nobody on the second floor must listen to this show. Ah, and we're in the stretch, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, I will teach you how not to kill your baby sprouts with water. It is one of the most important, or maybe it is the most important aspect of successful seed starting. You won't want to miss it. Just hang on through a couple more phone calls at 888-492-9444. Geraldine, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Geraldine. How you doing? I'm doing great. Anxious to get my question to you. Okay. Well, you. where are you? I'm in Brentwood, California, and that's Northern California. All right. So what can we do for Geraldine and Brentwood? Well, uh, I'm all into composting, and I have three different piles going. Right. And uh, I, I, in, in the one uh, compost, well, actually in all of them, I have the red wiggle worm. Right, red wiggle worm. And they're very active. Yes. But I also put in the regular large gray earthworms that I find under flower pots or in the wood mm. pile or things like that and carry them over to the compost piles. Is that okay for them to live together? Well, it would not be if we were talking about a worm bin situation. Oh, I see. Because the gray worms you're talking about are your common earthworm, and they can't survive in a worm bin. Now, your compost piles, are they uh, open to the ground? Are they, you know? Yes. They are. Yes. you're going to find that earthworms are going to come into the piles no matter what. Uh, you mean the red ones will come in or the natural gray earthworms? The natural gray earthworms will migrate into any well-moistened pile that has ground contact. Okay. Now, okay. You're, you're buying red wigglers, right? No, I am not. Where are you getting those? I have n- no, I have no idea where they came from or where I thought they were kind of natural all over huh. and I had read I had read that the red wiggle worms just amazing how active they are now are are your containers sealed or are they open no and you're putting more than just kitchen waste in right oh yes the dry the dry leaves and mm-hmm. um whatever I had a um wood chip a pile that is like maybe four years old now. So I use some of underneath the wood uh, clippings or chippings 
tips that I add to my compost every once in a while. Absolutely. A pile of wood after four or five years, you move it to one side and it's beautiful compost on the bottom. So you have naturally occurring red wigglers and of of course you have naturally occurring earthworms that you're adding to the pile. I I pronounce you not guilty. Um, (laughs) I I think you're doing the right thing. These are creatures that uh, obviously occur naturally together in your environment. And worms are the greatest processors of organic matter. Now, I want to remind everybody out there that you should never put earthworms into a worm bin indoors. But outdoors, where they can come and go as they wish, and again, you have two naturally occurring species who have obviously learned to live together. I think it's great. Wonderful. I was, I had no idea now how I was going to separate. The two. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think you can, Geraldine. I All right. Think so, but I thought well. I'm sure you make great compost. Yes, it's it's uh, uh, very good. It um, the the first pile now that's older. Then I use that as a top dressing. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to ask if we're kind of finished with the worms. Can I ask you another question? Sure. I live in I live near the river, so I have access to a lot of the uh, aquatic uh, plants that are very prominent in our area. Aquatic and plants comp- chopped up and put in a compost pile are magnificent. J.I. Rodell okay. felt okay. that any plant that grows in or near water has special composting properties. So you're doing everything right. Okay. Okay, because I kind of uh, partnered with the company, and they have no place to get rid of it, so they put it on my orchard. And so oh, okay. now this next spring, uh, they're going to be dumping again. And uh, so this is my first year now that it's since last year that I started. This mm-hmm. will be my second year of doing this. And I and we just I just heap it on top underneath the drip. Uh, on the drip line area underneath the fruit trees. Perfect. And Perfect. that is amazing also. Yes. Yes. Aquatic plants have micronutrients that really can't be found anywhere else. And I shouldn't worry about the pesticides from the agricultures or whatever and the whatever people do in the rivers next to their uh, homes. Well that's 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 a four hour question. We can't but right yeah, now we can't really control that. Okay. Yeah, right now I think you're doing everything great. All right. Perfect, Mike. You've made my day. Well, you've made my day, Geraldine. <laughs> All right. You take care now. That's great. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. I enjoy your program tremendously. Bye-bye now. As inevitable as the summer wind, it is time for the question of the week. Seed starting for feeding and watering. Or you can say watering if you're not from Philadelphia. When last we left you, your baby starts were up. Any coverings had been removed and the heating mats had been turned off. However, some hot pepper varieties will be much slower to emerge than the rest of your plants, if they even do emerge. Now, to the best of my knowledge... Guys, anybody seen my car keys and experience? 
The hardest varieties to germinate are the small but killer peppers, whose fruits cluster around the very tops of the plants, often in the shape of medium-sized marbles. I can't remember exactly who taught me this, but the only way to be sure you successfully germinate these bird peppers is to simulate the travel of the seed through the gut of a bird. Bird peppers. The plants hold their small but colorful fruits up high to attract birds. Birds got no lips, so the powerful heat doesn't bother them. In fact, it's delicious, nutritious, and a wonderful symbiotic relationship where the plants and birds have evolved to work together to feed those birds and extend the range of the pepper species. The birds eat the peppers, and then later on they poop out the seeds, which of course are now surrounded by a nice amount of nitrogen-rich bird guano. Presto! A new baby bird pepper plant is now growing a good distance from its parent, which assures biodiversity and increases the range of the plant. To me, this is Symbiosis 101, easy to observe and almost impossibly simple to understand while remaining a many centuries old example of evolutionary complexity. All right, before I go all Darwin on you, the way to replicate this at home is to pre-soak the seeds in bat guano, which is easily available and provides on average 7% nitrogen. The seed-starting experts I've spoke with say it's the best way to get these difficult but rewarding seeds to Germany. Germany? Germinate. Is there a difference? Great, we're a third of the way through and I haven't addressed any of the claim topics yet. Why do you people put up with me? Or why are any of you not surprised? Watering, simple, easy, treacherous. As with house plants, the best way to tell is by weight. Take the driest, which will also be the lightest container of your new starts and sit it in an inch or two of water for an hour. If it was light and is now heavy, repeat with the others. If you took our previous advice and stole somebody's cookie sheet with a raised limb, you can simply pour water into the tray. Wait one hour. Is the tray and or its individual containers heavy or light? If your answer is light and you're telling the truth and there's no standing water in the once cookie tray, pour in about half of what you originally used. No third time. The biggest threats to your baby plants is overwatering. At this point, you have made sure they won't be dehydrated, so walk away, Renee, or you risk the heartbreak of damping off disease, which isn't so much a disease as a cultural problem, like opera, reality TV, and people who refuse to get vaccinated. If you have experienced the heartache of seeing healthy sprouts begin to wither away at the soil line, you have firsthand experience with this, quote, disease. Why do I say that in quotes? There is great debate in the horticultural community about exactly how to refer to damping off. 
although a dizzying array of soil pathogens are involved, it all starts with overwatering. Using a fresh, out-of-the-bag professional soil mix is essential, because it got no disease yet, as is avoiding the rookie mistake of watering the poor, helpless sprout several times a day. Oh, but I was told by a close friend that I should water when the soil surface is dry. Either they are not your friend, or as Ron White famously said, and researchers from Cornell have proven, you can't fix stupid. The ahem dreaded dry soil surface is actually a good thing. If there's no moisture in the top half of your mix, pathogens can't breed at the most vulnerable area. Always remember that only roots can utilize moisture. The higher your personal water table becomes, the more harm you risk. Cheap trick, not the band. Even if you are anti-peat, get one of those smaller mini bales of milled peat moss and spread one inch on top of the soil surrounding your sprouts. The natural antibiotic and antipathogenic activity of milled peat moss will help rectify small mistakes in watering. You know, I'm thinking I should have made this article about watering alone, but the best laid plans, you know, off-gang agley. <laughs> Feeding. Much easier than getting the water right. Many sources will remind you that seeds are mostly composed of nutrients, with just a smidge of the DNA that prevents the adult plants from being gourds instead of tomatoes. Plus, did the bag of your seed-starting potting soil mix contain groovy natural fertilizers like worm castings? If you just said yes, don't feed your sprouts their first outside meal until a month after emergence. Be brave. Be strong. If your mix is, quote, sterile but unfortified with nutrients like the legendary Pro Mix, you can feed them a gentle dilute one-quarter strength organic liquid fertilizer two weeks after their first true leaves appear. If planting time is delayed by cold nights, you can repeat this diluted feeding once. But that's it. Tiny little plants can utilize only the smallest amounts of food. Well, that sure was another intensive look at seed starting now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website to read it over in detail at your leisure or your leisure. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week. Thank you, GA. And you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is threatening to overwater my starts. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444. Send us your emails. You're tired, you're poor. Your wretched refuse of communication teeming towards our garden shore. 
at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and of course, our priceless podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly, actually strongly, by the Public Media Center at PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Is that our name this week? Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when an interdimensional portal opened in front of him, revealing an incredibly beautiful world of wonder with fairies, flying horses, and rainbow skies. He said, no thanks, I got tickets to see the Phillies game tonight and closed the portal, unknowingly preventing an invasion of evil shapeshifters and illusionists. Speaking of illusionists, our musical director is Ken Queter. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and stay current with what's happening with the show at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our profound producer of priceless productions. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of directorial direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Zach the Takwasneski is in the house, as is Jacob Morris and... A couple of people I didn't recognize, but we will welcome them into the usual gang of idiots. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, has been late for so many meetings that Wednesday is the new Tuesday. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, gearing up to start my seeds and keeping up with the shoveling my orthopedic surgeons made me swear not to do. So unless I hear that terrifying pop, I'll see you next week. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR. And they're not dead yet. What now? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll continue your edumacation with precise instructions on moving into bigger containers, and maybe even planting outside, plus your fabulous phone calls. And that's on the next You Bet Your Garden. Uh-huh.